Welcome back to Idea to Iteration with me, your host, Hafsa Ahmed. Now, if you don't already know, I'm a huge nerd for anything business, which is obviously why I'm in a business program. But the drive towards this interest actually started through today's special guest, Kevin Sousa. Kevin is actually my first business teacher from high school who's been teaching business for 20 years now. He's also a professional photographer owning his own photography brand going by the name Kevin Sousa Photography. After being in the photography business for seven years, Kevin has had the opportunity to work with massive clients, including the NHL, CFL, and Hockey Hall of Fame. He's also a freelance photographer for USA Today Sports Image and Icon Sportswire, which has only further grown his name in the industry. So I'm looking forward to today's conversation with Kevin because beyond his career, he has such an amazing personality and mindset in building the career he's built, which is why I'm honored to have you on today's show, Kevin. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a fantastic intro. I have to admit, that sounded very like smooth. <laughs> I'm very impressed there. Did it make you now, sound really professional? A, I think it's just going to go worse from here. I'm like going to start speaking and it's going to sound terrible compared to that intro, but let's, <laughs> I'll try my best here too. No, Ooh. no, I'm excited. All right. So I want to start the interview by basically talking about your teaching profession how you've really built that over the past 20 years. So first of all, happy 20th year anniversary on teaching. Thank how does that feel? Uh, you know, I feel old. <laughs> That's how it feels. It's like, I'm, I'm, I look back on 20 years, I don't even know where it went. If like, cause it, like I've been enjoying myself for 20 years. I've had the best job in the world. So it doesn't feel like work. So I, I'm just amazed how fast it's gone. And it feels great to be at this point in my career, I guess. Yeah, that's amazing. When you're passionate about something, time really does fly. And that's so good to oh, hear. <laughs> but I want to talk about you when you're my age. So let's throw it back to young Sousa Day. Oh, <laughs> me, me at your age. Oh, man, third year university. I think that was the year I realized that I couldn't just like not go to class and hang out with my friends that I actually need to like go to the library. And uh so third year, yeah, totally different than first year, Sue. So let me tell you, and uh, it was good, man. I loved university. I love that whole lifestyle where you get to sort of pick your schedule. Uh, you're lots of freedom. You got four months off to make a little bit of uh, cash to pay for, you know, maybe a bit of a trip and tuition. Uh, but yeah, good times. Like I, I always tell my students as they leave the door, I'm like, you guys are heading towards some of the best years of your lives in yeah. post-secondary and I think that holds true still to this day yeah it's super fun but how are you as a student compared to you as, as a student, student you know what as a student I I think I, I learned like most guys we mature late <laughs> like we're a bunch yeah. of idiots like drag our <laughs> knuckles just barely get in or whatever and uh, you know I think the first year I, I had a rough time I was like uh not diligent studying as much as I should have been uh yeah. I, I high school was pretty easy and i thought when i got to university i had a really tough time making that adjustment and there was so much like distractions you know you get to this big campus i went to the university of western ontario or now known as western after the yeah, rebranding biggest party school too biggest well yeah that's what they say I, I think it's a bit true uh yeah so it was always like constant like let's do this let's go here let's you know and so i got sucked into that my first year and it was entertaining and it uh, was fun but i think you know i'm after my first year i was like, okay i have to do something so i took a yeah. year off i took oh, a year no. off from you yeah i uh you know i i mean i was working at a factory in outside london ontario 
And I made all this money. I worked seven days a week. And I packed all this cash because I was thinking to myself, I didn't know what I wanted to do too. Yeah. Uh, so I literally just uh, took the year off and I went to Europe and I lived in Portugal for seven months or so. And then I went back. So I spent about nine months in total overseas. And I mean, I lived on my own, had an apartment and like, just, it was great. Like different experience got me out of school. And then I sort of like refocused. I said, okay, I know I have to like graduate. That's mandatory. And, uh, I had my fun, you know, I got to see things, do things I never usually did. It was outside my element. And I, the next two to three years of university were a lot easier. Yeah, that's amazing. Some people don't often consider taking that year off and just really knowing what you want to do because university is a big investment. So really taking that time to understand yourself. That's definitely yeah. my choice. And I didn't know that you went to Portugal. That's so cool. What? Like, yeah. Well, it's like something you don't tell your students all the time. Like, hey, man, my first year was terrible. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's like, it was interesting because like, 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 I'll pass on the, the, the tip or whatever advice I got from a teacher who did the same thing, my economics teacher. And he said, mm-hmm. don't forget, like when you get to university, it's like your full-time job. So yeah. if a job is 40 hours, like, you know, full-time job is roughly 40 hours, then you should be at the lot, you should be doing work for 40 hours. So if you have class, for like 15 well another 25 you got to put it in somewhere to do that work and my first yeah. year I didn't do that obviously I would just go to class and write a test and whatever but then my when I went came back from Portugal I literally would have two hours of class and then I would spend six hours in the library I would like lock myself down in the library and it was pretty cool because I made library friends I like I had my I had my friends yeah and then I had this whole different crew of library friends I used to call them so when I got into the yeah. library, like all the people I knew were still there. I'm like, hey, Doug, hey, Joe, whatever. You know, you start meeting all these people. And then you had a whole different set of friends who were just the, like the library people. And I, I would spend like, man, 25 hours in the library in some capacity. Man, like, you know, you go to the library, you go to like, you know, the, the pub or whatever and hang out for a couple hours for, you know, just to break up the day. But you would primarily stay at school. I wasn't going home and just taking naps and going for, you know, working out and running or something like that. Yeah. And honestly, it's not even a bad thing that you, you're saying that you weren't so focused in your first year, because I feel like once you get into university, you're you're so about that social life and it looks like so much fun and you just get absorbed into it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because it triggered you to the reality that you kind of need to focus after this. And honestly, it's second year <laughs> yeah. moving forward that it actually gets harder. So, yeah, it's but, you know, at the same time, I'd like, you know, I always think to myself, do I regret it? You know, like I have children of my own. Mm-hmm. What, what would I say to them? I'm like, listen, if you don't know what you want to do, take a year off. Yeah. Those, those institutions called universities and colleges have been there forever and they're not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, like yeah. get accepted, take a year off, just defer it mm-hmm. and then go back when you're ready. Like it's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Yeah. So Another thing, when you were my age, when you're in university now, moving a little further into your university career, in your third, mm-hmm. fourth year, did you see yourself going to education as a career? Or was this something that sparked unexpectedly for you? Uh, I always had in the back of my mind, that's what I wanted to do. But yeah. it's like everything, right? Like you look at the economic situation, the employability of teachers at the time, uh, the numbers that were being hired were like minimal like it was bad it was there was not a hiring phase and so uh one of my cousins who was a teacher got into teacher's college 
she was super bright and she got denied her first year. She couldn't even get in. And I was like, whoa, man, Maria didn't get in. I like, I have no chance. <laughs> I was just like, you didn't get in. I'm screwed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, lucky for me, the years that uh, followed, I was working at a bank. So what happened was I graduated. I was working at a bank and I was doing uh, um, credit adjudication. I was looking at loans and all sorts of jazz. And, and I literally, I, we went through a merger. It was TD and Canada Trust Merge. And when mm -hmm. you go through a merger of any two entities like that, like there's layoffs. And so yeah, yeah. the environment got all of a sudden like survival of the fittest. I mean, would walk into the office, like who got laid off? We'd be looking around like, you know, who's, where's Maria? She's still here or she's been laid off because <laughs> they were looking at redundancies within those two corporations. And so after that experience and uh, I just hated my, like the guy, the people I worked with were fantastic. And I enjoyed them. Like, yeah. it was, it was, but I just hated the job. Like it was just, looking at numbers, approving people for loans. And it was sort of the bottom like ring. Like it was like, I was just, like the entry positions within an organization the size of a bank. And I was, I was taking my securities course at the time. And so I was literally sitting there and then my buddy called me up and he's like, hey man, I'm at teacher's college. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, there's a huge demand. There's like a shortage. They're, they're dying for teachers. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> I just said, okay, I'm done. So I applied wow. to teachers college and I got in and I'm like, perfect. Cause I, I was a big, like I played soccer all my life. Yeah. And I at the time I was coaching my cousins who were little kids and I loved it. Right. Like I was just loved it. So I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do with my life. Yeah. That sounds like the fate and timing for you. But yeah. It was like me. So when you went into actually teaching, like something mm -hmm. that often happens is that we've talked about this as well now that you have this envision of how your career is going to be in that respective field. And then you actually go and do the job and you realize maybe it doesn't work with your personality or you don't like the environment of it. So <clears throat> what was your first impression when you actually started teaching and has that shifted through time? Uh, no, I, I think that actually like my first impression of teaching was like, it, well, like I remember I worked at a really interesting school. It wasn't like yeah. your, it was called a vocational school and it still exists. And I won't mention the name just to whatever, but it's a unique school where the kids are really different than your average academics, like your traditional high school. This was a school where there was a lot of challenges academically, socioeconomically. <clears throat> so the kids were, my first impression was like, whoa, what did I get myself into? Because, you know, like as a high school sc student, university, I was used to an academic lifestyle. <clears throat> where you know it was all about you know you sat there you listened you did the work and then yeah. all of a sudden I'm, I'm dealing with behaviors that were not the normal behaviors that i i experienced and yeah. i had a class of 15 and then a, a fight could break out within two minutes so my first week or two of teaching i was like what the hell is going on here like what did i get myself into but then when you realize you start to build relations with the kids and you start to like deal with this kind of these challenges of dealing with different types of students and their learning skills I, I, yeah, you just enjoyed it. Like I really, <clears throat> I, like I took to it, you know, I was coaching basketball, volleyball. I was co like coaching what I like to do. I was building relationships. So teaching over the years, it's, it's always been that like building relationships with students, you know, helping them out as much as I possibly can, you know, yeah. in whatever capacity, right. Academic guidance, whatever they, you know, you hope you're just trying to be helpful to like, anybody who needs the help to get them along. Yeah, it sounds like it incorporates not only academic help, but character development help because you're helping such young kids where they're so highly influential at the time too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems, you know, you hope you do the right thing. Yeah.
So that kind of ties into what I believe your teaching style is kind of like. I personally thought when I was in your class like five years ago now, I thought your teaching oh, no. style was very entrepreneurial and relaxed, but there's also teachers who are more strict and structured. And obviously, mm -hmm. it caters to what they believe maximizes <clears throat> the education and development of their students. But what would you describe your teaching style as, and why do you choose it to be that way? Uh, it's pretty lace up fair, like hands off. It's yeah, like I rather almost like I don't know. I don't want to be on. I don't want to be driven by deadlines and you know homework that has to be done. Like I feel like just saying, "Hey, kid, it's up to you. You do it yeah. or don't do it. What am I supposed to do? Like I'm not gonna be here for like." There's not gonna be people who are gonna push you for the rest of your life to, to succeed. You have to like find that inner desire. I think after failing my first year, it's like, you, you have to do it. Like you, no one's yeah. gonna be there at the next level. Cause I deal with a lot of grade 12s and I feel personally, and this is my feeling only, like in grade nine, we sort of cuddle you and we like, hey, you know, do your work, what's gonna check it. Like, you know, you're in grade eight. And then progressively, hopefully we sort of take off that, like, you know, we have to move to make you more independent. I think by the time you're grade 12, like, I don't want to call your parents when we have a yeah. problem with, you know, homework. I don't want to, uh, the only person I want to talk to is you because you're an adult mm -hmm. at this point. You're, you're 17, 18 years old. Like, you're making that transition to leave. And, I, like, when it comes to your homework and your work, I, I don't want to be involved in how, what makes you successful. You have to, like, sort of learn what it takes to study, to meet deadlines, to organize your life. Yeah. Like, I don't want to micromanage you in my class. Like, it's sort of, like, it's due here. We have a test here. This is what's happening. Get it done. Like, I don't want to really be part of the, the micro, like I'm not a micromanager by any stretch of imagination. I consider myself yeah. big picture. What's it going to, what do we need to do? Let's just get done. Yeah. From that classing. That's smart. So. Honestly, though, because you really just have <clears throat> to maximize your own experiences for yourself. And even though you don't like force anything on your students, it's like a lesson they'll eventually learn for themselves. Like you said, but Okay, something that I really resonated with your classes, and I always <laughs> tell you about this, is your PowerPoints. Yeah, my PowerPoints. <laughs> yeah, because I went into high school not knowing that the importance of a good PowerPoint, I learned at such a young age because of you. It's oh, truly yeah. an art. So I want to know what you believe is your technique to approaching a good PowerPoint and how you really hit oh. the nail on the head with it. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Because I actually, I, de well, I started developing that skill set when I was at Stephen Lowe's when I first started teaching because I went from a setting where there was no presentations. It was just like, and then like maybe that lends my style when I was teaching with, with kids with different learning styles and ability. You had to be really flexible. Yeah. And what ended up happening was I literally realized at one time when I started getting these big classes where they started to listen to you and they're sort of similar I had to now present, I was like, man, how do you present? And how do you not make it a note? Cause I was, I sat there through other things when I remember as a kid where they would just go, like, instead of PowerPoints, they had like these uh, overheads and the teacher would make you write everything. And I thought to myself, why am I making these kids rewrite a textbook? Oh my and God, I hated I, those machines. Like those machines yeah. where you put the paper on it, right? Oh my God. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. And I, I'm like, this thing's ridiculous that these kids can all read and they're all pretty smart. And why am I re? So I might as well make a presentation. And then I had taught your book layout. Like yeah. I was, a, so I went from, so when I went to this uh, school in PO, my first job for the first seven years of my life, I literally was teaching yearbook. They said, Hey, Susa, here's a digital camera. Yeah. And they're like, We don't have a yearbook editor. Can you teach these kids how to create a yearbook? And 
I was like, what are you talking about? And that's when I started to learn about design and photography and all these little things. And I started teaching these kids how to do it. And I was like Photoshop, I learned through this teaching them and I had to learn myself. And then I realized, you know, what I liked was visual stuff. So when yeah. I came to PowerPoints, I realized, you know what, like figured instead of doing a note, I'll just do a presentation. So that's when I started to really think about how things look. I started watching YouTube videos about how to present. Uh, I started to, you know, think about colors. I started, I had a good idea of how layout should look somewhat. And listen, I'm not, I'm not like an expert. Okay. Like there are people with graphic design backgrounds that yeah. would create some of the most beautiful stuff, but I started to like look into uh, different resources to try at least create something that was unique. I mean, I can go, there's great websites now. Sl uh, Slide Carnival is a fantastic website where you can build great PowerPoints and they actually uh, have all these different types of slides that I like, like styles that I like where they use big numbers to, to present a, uh, whatever, to, you know, present a number, like the size of the scene tower and they'd have something like graphic. And I, like, I just gravitated towards making PowerPoints at one point. Cause it was like, I lost the yearbook thing, which was yeah. a great, a great creative outlet for me. And then yeah. I just jumped on the idea of making PowerPoints. So that's how it all sort of started. And then I started making my wife's PowerPoints, by the way. No way, even for her classes? <laughs> yeah, her students at Fraser are like, oh, Miss, Miss Sousa, your PowerPoints are awesome. She's like, they're my husband's. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, yeah. Because I, I, I was good at, the, like, I, I, felt, I enjoyed it. Like, I would stay late at night and try to think about stuff. Yeah. It was a creative outlet for me. I remember growing <laughs> up in, like, elementary school or when you first started using PowerPoint, you were like, oh my God, there's animations. You can add GIFs. When I came to your class, I realized minimal is, like, everything to a good PowerPoint. Yeah, and I think the and, the, and like we 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 rather hear you talk, right? Yeah. We don't want to hear the PowerPoint. Like we don't want. Remember, like I'm not sure if you remember my pet peeve is like people who go up there and they just read off the PowerPoint and they yeah. would like have the bullets and they would start reading and reading and you're like, what the hell is going on, kid? Like yeah. I can read. You don't have to read to me. I'm here to listen to you talk, and the imagery behind you and the stats and the whatever text you have is only there to enhance it enhance the story. And that's what I think I'd like try to convince. I was actually telling, I was teaching PowerPoint production to kids just two weeks ago uh, to start off the, the new quad uh, during mm -hmm. COVID. And I was, I was saying to them, listen, man, I can't like international business is a topic with a lot of, you know, it's just a conversation. It's a lot of text that you're going to read and memorize. But I said to them, the one thing I'm going to teach you is how to make a slide deck and have a basic idea of like what a good presentation looks like so that you're not repeating what, I would say most teachers do, which is put up a note. Like, yeah. that's not a presentation. That's a note. You got to distinguish the two so that hopefully when you get out there, you can make something that looks like a presentation. Yeah, I've definitely developed the same pet peeve as you. I hate it when watching presentations and they're just talking off the screen. It's oh. so boring. It's so dreadful. What would you say is your golden three rules with making a PowerPoint then? Your top oh, three. Man. Top three. I would say... I hate bullets. <laughs> I just hate bullets. Yeah. I'm not a big bullet fan. I'm like, there's a time and place. Don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. I like, I'd say it's very few and few and far between. I'd say use uh, great images, great images. Like if you can pay for images, like the one thing I always like wish I could do is afford all those like stock art and like vector shapes that you can get. And you can get these bundles that all the graphics look really cohesive and they look like they're done professionally. I think mm -hmm. images are important and you can find great images on Google. 
that are free and I would use great images and uh, the rule of three, you know, I'm not sure like three different colors, three different font styles. Uh, there's a rule of three, even in photography, I discovered yeah. that when you see three objects on a, on a, like three people in a frame of a photograph, there's some, from some reason it's a balance. It's yeah. the ultimate number. You go to four and the picture looks funny all of a sudden. So it's sort of like, make three points, uh, use three different colors, like I said, three different uh, fonts. Um, the rule of three, I don't know, it's just something about it. I'd say the students look into it and try to utilize it. Yeah, I try to ground myself on the rule of three too. Sometimes I'll have two factors to some type of outcome and I'll be like, no, I need to make a third one just so it it's, looks aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you gotta do it just to make it look pleasing. There's a balance, I don't know what it is. It's like the rule of three. It's funny, like I, I like you know, with the photography. I work with uh, he's an, like an award-winning photographer, right? And he one day we're having this conversation. He tells me the rule of three. And I'm like, oh man, I live by that rule. It's like even jokes. Yeah. You ever have friends and they, you know, like that they they extend the joke. Like someone makes a joke and they add to it. As soon as it yeah. gets to three, I'm like, that's it. It's dead. Don't if you go any further past three, you've killed it. Like you've just gone too far and it's no longer funny. Just let it be. Yeah. So, <laughs> so rule of three using photography as your creative outlet you started that seven years ago now and you've yeah. really grown a passion for and grown the business overall so mm -hmm. what really sparked well you kind of touched on this but was the spark of your photography business from doing all the yearbook stuff or was this like something you also had at the back of your mind that you were interested in and you just wanted to explore uh you know what the spark was middle age <laughs> it's a midlife crisis i hate to yeah. say it, but it's sort of true it's <laughs> 30 man i was 39 so about to hit 40. Yeah. And I think I was at, anyways, teaching a long time, midway through my career. And I hate to say it, like, not, I'm not going to hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. It's like teaching is a weird one. Uh, like sometimes I think teaching is for the young. Because when you get to my age, you're yeah. like 45. Like you're the old guy now, right? Like when I was young, you're like almost their age, your student's age. And they sort of like, you know, it's easier to build a relationship with a student because you're almost the same age. And when you're 30, you're still sort of cool, I guess, in some capacity. When you're 45 and gray, like you're old man, like you walk into the room and you're like, like they start talking about art, like, you know, like some musical artists and they're like, hey, you hear this latest track? And you're like, who are you guys talking about? Like, I have no idea. And thank God for my daughter who's 14. She keeps me in the know with some of these artists, but like Three Stallions or something. I'm like, I have no idea, man. <laughs> like I'm so far, I can't yeah. relate to them anymore in that capacity. So at 38, basically, and you're like, whoa, I just like, I always did the photography thing because of high school. And then when I was at Stephen Lewis, um, I ended up doing some like sports for them every so often. And then mm -hmm. my son was of an age where he was starting to play sports. And I just said, you know what? Like I, someone, one told, someone once told me after seeing some of my photographs that he's like, you got some talent or you're good. I enjoyed it. I was taking sport, you know, I said, you know what? And then I walked in, and, and the other thing is too, teaching business mm -hmm. all for those years at Stephen Lewis. And we did a business venture day, right? If you remember that, that business yeah. venture day project. I felt like, you know, all my life, I never really owned a business. And, yeah. I, and I always tell students, you know, like you're young, take a risk because it's sort of true, right? This is a point in your life where you don't have children, you don't have like a mortgage or anything like that. And if you're going to do anything and take a risk, it's now, right? Because there's yeah. no, it's just you, there's nothing to lose. And I, I've never done, I've never did that really. And so I yeah. said to them, I said, so I walked in, I had a fantastic grade set of grade tens. They were great kids, like fantastic. 
And I said to him, you know what, I'm going to take a risk. And my, my goal, and then like, you know how you, some people set goals and stuff like that. And yeah. I remember it, my goal, and I told the kids, I walked in, I said, my goal is to take a picture of Cristiano Ronaldo, because I'm a huge uh, soccer fan, yeah. big Portuguese supporter. And that was my goal. I said, this is it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy equipment and I'm going to start from the bottom. And I said, I'm going to become a professional sports photographer and I know I'll be successful. Or like the goal is to take pictures of him playing in the MLS. And I said, it's going to take, he's going to be, you know, I figured seven, eight years, he'll probably come to North America. And by that time I'll earn my photo creds. Yeah. And that was like seven years ago. And then I did that within seven, three months, four months. You I got, got my photo. Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, it was like, and listen, I'll be honest, it was, you know, like, I don't know. It's sort of like, and there's a lot of lessons I've learned along the way and that relate to business. Yeah. And I think that like anybody, it's just like that mindset where you're like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do everything I can to figure out how to do what I need to do to be successful. Yeah. So I went on to, I looked around the internet. I watched all the tutorials I possibly could. Then I got onto forums, uh, Flickr. And then I hooked up with a professional photographer and they were running, they were actually doing a podcast. It was called oh, Big no Lens way. Fast Shutter. Yeah. yeah. Guy to California, Matt Cohen and uh, Ryu uh, out of, he was out of Germany. So these two guys started a podcast. What they did was they would talk, everything's uh, sports photography and they had, then they would do this thing on Flickr where you would submit pictures and they would annihilate your pictures. And they weren't like nice about it. Yeah. So you would submit a photograph and I would submit a photograph and like, this is shit. <laughs> this is crap. What, what the hell is this? Advice, though. It's so nice. Like, but it is. Yeah. It is, right? It's sort of like, it's sort of, it is good. Because how do you get better? Yeah, so. it becomes harder to improve what everyone else is going to see, you know? Yeah. And so those guys really like, and I would submit every week you know, hoping that they would see something good and they just cut it up. They would slice it. Every month I'd wait, I'd submit two photographs and they're like, this is crap. This is shit. What the hell? Why would you bother even taking this picture? And I'd sit there like, oh my God, I'm devastated. But then one day it's like, man, that's a good photograph. And then you start to see like, after you studied and you spent time, you get comfortable with your equipment and you start to realize what it takes. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit of that. And then you know, within like, I don't know, months, months and months, I started getting better. But then what was funny about it was the one day I figured, okay, how the hell do I get a photo pass? And these guys were telling me the process. And this is why I would tell any young person right now listening, there are so many people out there who are successful. And I'm talking successful people. And they uh, are more than willing to share their secrets of success and tell you how to get to where they are. And that's what you have to do. Like when you say, I really want to do this. I want to be that. I want to be that person. Find that person or find a few and ask them, how did you do it? You know, yeah. and, and like if, and I get I get emails all the time from young photographers asking me, how do I do this? How do I get into the, you know, the biz? And I tell them, and some, you know, listen, some don't, whatever. Uh, but it's those relationships. So those two guys really got me going. And then, um, you know, like going back to the business class and the, and the kids, it was like, you know, it was pretty cool because I walk in, I'm like, okay, man, I, you know, this is how much money I invested. Uh, you know, in business, sometimes you have to invest money to make money. And, and at the time, I wasn't making a lot. Then I volunteered with, and this is the other like lesson of the, the whole starting a business or even trying to be successful. And I think you're doing it really well, like networking, right? Yeah. Like you meet people and you try to, 
you know, like I, I volunteer with the, one of my first things was volunteering where I'm not making any money. It's with uh, Hockey Canada. Mm-hmm. They have the World Junior Hockey Tournament every year during Christmas. So I volunteered as a photographer and I, you know, I thought I did a great job. Like I was you know, really trying. And the two guys that I met there became uh, future clients with the Ontario Hockey Association. So I, one of my clients is them because of that connection. And the other guy works for the CFL. So I do work for the CFL too, Canadian Football League. And so, and that was just by, you know, meeting people, building good relationships. That Those relationships are seven years strong now. And yeah. I consider them clients. And so, you know, that's another thing that I think when I started this whole thing about photography is like, yeah, just, you know, like keep on working at it, building relationships, meeting people. And I think, you know, like it just, it, it goes from there. And then you just keep on working hard. You just keep on learning from others. You meet these, like, I'm, I'm very fortunate today that I work for a guy named Mark Blinch, who is a, a, like, he's a world press winner, which I'm like, for those who are out there, I'm not sure you watch, but you watch any Raptors during the whole. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Anyways, he's the guy. I'm not sure if you, you've probably seen the picture for sure. It's because it's been on billboards, but he's the one that mm-hmm. took the photograph of Kawhi in game seven, hitting the basket oh, where yeah, everyone's, yeah. where everyone's looking at the basket and the ball's mm-hmm. right in the middle. And you can see yeah. him to the one side. He took that photograph and that photograph won him a world press, which is like an Oscar of photography. And so you know him personally as well? I worked with him. I was actually there yeah. that day when that shot happened. I was actually his editor. Oh, I got really? to see that. I got to see that photograph first because it was game seven. He's like, Susa, can you edit for me? Because our editor, Lambo, was at a wedding in Montreal. So my job yeah. was to literally take the camera from his car, like the, the cards from his camera, stick it into the computer and then look through the pictures and pick them and send them to New York. So I'm like hitting the buttons and I look at it. I'm like, holy smokes, dude, this picture is phenomenal. I can't do this for you. You have to do it because it's just like, you know, and anyways, you know, he's been really like, he's really moved my career along. I've been able to work for other clients like U.S. Tennis because of him. And, and we've been together like, well, I've been working with him for five years now with the Toronto Beliefs. So it's like yeah like you know you go from high school teacher you're like hey i'm gonna become a professional sports photographer and now you get you're in you're in the room with the best sports photographers in all canada and i've met some of the best ones in the world because you know pandemic games and different things like that so yeah yeah, i agree though that networking actually does get you so far because it's such a small world and you actually don't realize that you'll have these unexpected opportunities approach you like you did i can't believe you Mm -hmm had that picture of Kawhi, the most iconic picture in your possession before it ever came out. Oh, yeah. It's so yeah, funny. But like, if you, like, I, like, I'm not sure, you know, you're, like, anyone who's a Raptor fan has seen it. Like, you've seen it. Like, there's a yeah. guarantee you've seen it. It's, it's been reproduced so many bloody times. It's incredible. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny, though, because we, I've seen it so many times on t-shirts and, and everywhere. And uh, when we were, because of COVID, we weren't allowed in our photo room downstairs where the players like hang out, like where their locker room is. So they put us in these suites yeah. at, at a social bank center. So we have a suite that's set up for our photo room. You know, we got mm-hmm. the leather couch. Like I've actually taught a, a couple classes from there. <laughs> and because, uh, you know, COVID, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's so funny. Like some kids are like, hey, sir, I hear a buzzer in the back. I'm like, all right, don't worry about it. <laughs> well. It's just uh, it's a buzzer from outside. Just relax, kid. But uh, we walk into our photo room or our suite 
And all of a sudden there's a massive picture of Kawhi, that shot that he took in, you know, in black and white. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like, you know, serendipity. Like it's just meant to happen that we're sitting in this room with your photograph. This is the one they assigned us of all the suites on the 200 level. This is one we, we get. So yeah. anyway, it's like, uh, yeah, it's been cool. It's been really cool. I've had some really cool experiences. Like, like I said, within six months, I was taking pictures of Ronaldo uh at michigan state university in front of like 120,000 soccer fans watching real madrid versus um real madrid versus manchester united so and from there it's just, you know such large-scale opportunities that quickly too like that's really cool <clears throat> well you know it's funny it's like you know like that going back to like, like the whole idea of like working hard and sort of like you know trying to meet a goal and like doing whatever you can to meet that goal and you really get yeah. like I'm, I'm the kind of person if I do something like I get fixated sometimes and I have to know everything about it and I have to do like, do my best. Like I just get fixated kind of. And I just say, okay, back to those two guys, you know, they told me how to get a press pass, how to do it. So I called up, uh, this is how I did it. Actually. It's pretty, my wife's always like, oh, I don't know. This sounds shady. I called yeah. up a Portuguese news. I called up a Portuguese newspaper in Toronto. Yeah. Cause I have yeah. Portuguese background. And I say, Hey, listen, Christian Ronaldo's playing at, you know, blah, blah, blah. All I need you to do is, you know, give me you I, allow me to use your name, saying that I work yeah. for you. So they're like, yeah, okay, fine, because they're not going to pay anything, right? Yeah. It's not, there's no money involved. So I I applied for a photo credential, and I said Kevin Sousa sold a publication or so you know like sold son in Portuguese, right? So sold publication Toronto, yeah. and then I get an email saying you've been approved for a photo pass. Oh, so wow. that easy. Right. And yeah. all I had to do was take photographs. And then the best part about it was, and this is how it sort of snow, like a snowball effect, right? Like you meet one person, you sort of meet another. And uh, because I gave those pictures to this Portuguese newspaper and they're yeah. like, you know, they have, a, it's just, it's only distributed in Mississauga and GTA to the Portuguese community bakeries and yeah. stores. Uh, they ran a two page spread with all my photographs oh my about God. Ronaldo so now what's funny is guess what you've been published right yeah. like i've been published so now i take that and i give it to someone else and say hey listen i've been published and they're like okay go take pictures for us and so yeah. then you get published for different like uh, the oakville beaver different newspapers throughout the gta start publishing some of my stuff yeah and then they, you just start building from there that's really cool so I love how you had that mindset of just going for it, like just going into the career and trying it out. I know f photography yeah. is such a concentrated, competitive environment too. Oh, brutal. What did you, brutal. Yeah, what did you constantly tell yourself to get you through and really push your work out there? I mean, you talked about this newspaper as an outlet, but what other outlets did you see for yourself? Oh man, what I, how did I get through, man? I, you know what? When I I just said I just kept on saying, you know, be different because it's a it's a sort of a, an industry where a lot of people start to look the same, like the photographs that look the same. So because of the two guys, uh, Matt and Rui, they're like, you know, do something that makes you stand out. You know, mm -hmm. like shoot it differently, look for different angles. And so, like you said, very competitive. And uh, so every time I got to a game. I would try to do something different, you know, look for something that was, and, and like, I like, like sports is cool, but I like like photojournalism, like in the sense of like yeah. the whole telling the story of the event, not just the players on the field. Mm -hmm. So some of the, what actually was pretty interesting was that experience I had at when I went to take pictures of Ronaldo, my favorite picture of the whole thing 
wasn't Ronaldo. It wasn't the game. It wasn't like the 120,000 people in the stands and like all that kind of stuff was actually what was cool was there was this, I was walking by, I was on the second level and I saw this fence, like an iron fence. And all these kids were trying to climb the iron fence to look over in the field where Ronaldo was practicing. And there was like, there were some adults and I took this image and it was, it was like a silhouette of these guys climbing, like little kids, like climbing the fence. And what was interesting was how did I get my, like, you know, like, like, you know, everything sort of happens for reasons. Right. I showed that picture to the Toronto FC photographer, a guy named Paul. Mm-hmm. We were talking and he's like, Hey man, uh, let me see some of your stuff. Cause he was going to try to help me out, like critique it. And I showed him this image, which was not soccer related. And he's like, man, that's fantastic. He's like, that's a good photograph. And then he's the guy who told my current boss, Mark, to hire me. Oh, he's wow. the guy who said, I know a guy who's like, you know, this middle-aged guy, whatever, yeah. you know? And, uh, so yeah, like I would say, you know, like try to be different, you know, make those connections and try your best to, you know, work hard at it and just persevere. Like you like have a have that goal and then do whatever necessary to get there. Like just work hard yeah. and just keep on plugging. I love how you took pictures of things that people were blind to because you always just look at the main site and that's what people focus so much on. But really capturing the moment for other people to see as well is really cool. And I love that you did that. Since you do go to all these like huge events, all these big Mm -hmm. events, you definitely Mm -hmm. have had the perk of meeting a lot of celebrities. Oh my God, yeah. So what is your best experience or your best story of a celebrity meet? Like I got a couple, man. I got a couple that are not sports related. Like, uh, yeah. but the the best one, the best one, the funny one, was uh, so okay. After every uh, after every Maple Leaf game, mm-hmm. there is there is the locker room, right? So the a- athletes go back in, they get unchanged, and then there's people. They come out. There's either some family members, there's charities. There's people that, that want to meet the players, right? There's yeah. always people that want to meet the players. And so they hang out outside. And one day I had to go in to take a photograph of some player who scored their hundredth goal, whatever, some kind of like landmark. And they usually, I walk into the change room they have to like, you know, they hold the puck and I take the photograph. So I'm waiting to get in to the change room. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, this young kid's there. And he's, he's like, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, it's going well. Right. We start talking. I'm like, uh, who are you waiting for? He's like, well, I'm waiting for Austin Matthews or something like that. Cool. We're going back and forth with chit chatting. And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at him the whole time. Like, dude, you look familiar, but I don't say that to him. My head. I'm like, you look familiar. You look familiar. I don't know why, but then I thought, then, you know, like I've been around this stuff a long time, like Justin Bieber, right. For example, he comes down there all the time. And when Bieber's there, it's like three or four bodyguards and Mm -hmm. he doesn't like to be taught. He doesn't like to be talked to. Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, I'm in a Bieber video. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the Maple Leafs. You'll see me in the uh, side somewhere. But anyways, Bieber, Bieber's, he's a huge hockey fan, right? He's always using our photographs on his Instagram. Like this week, he used one of my photographs on his Instagram. It's so funny. I get like 10 likes and he gets like 6 million. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Bieber is funny. But he's like, you know, he's that celebrity, right? So I'm sitting there. I'm talking to this guy. And like two minutes, three minutes goes by. We're just chit-chatting, talking about stuff about the game. And then all of a sudden, he goes, uh, he goes in. And I go in, whatever. And then I'm like, I said to my daughter, I got home the next day. I'm like, I don't know. I met this guy. I don't know who he is. And I said, I took a picture of him. And she's like, she's like, you idiot. It's Sean Mendez. 
I'm like, oh yeah, Sean Mendez. I was like, ah, whatever. I had no idea it was Sean Mendez. Me and Mendez hanging out for five minutes, just chilling. Yeah. And I had no idea who the guy was. How casual. So do you love doing like sports photography specifically, or do you ever think about venturing out and diversifying your brand into other like areas of photography? Uh yeah, my brand right now is, is sports. It is yeah. sports. Like if you go to my website, it's all sports twenty four seven. Yeah. Uh, I, I do portraiture, like sort of, but it's usually athletes mm-hmm. when they ask us to. Um, I've thought about it and being a teacher and uh, with two young kids, I like I get busy. Like they're yeah. like before pre-COVID, like Mike, like for the last three years, I'd say I was out of the house like every other day doing different things because because one, I'm like now like networks and this is the thing that i would say to anybody who's young or old or whatever but your network is what sustains you so when you're young and you're starting off life you're meeting friends at university or college whatever and you guys go into an industry those mm-hmm. friendships will build and they will like support you and you will hire them they'll hire you or you might get a contract for one or the other and that that friendship of yours is like what keeps you like i've read an article like you need at least five good friends to keep you going in business yeah. to sort of Right. And so my network has got really like bigger because of my boss, Mark, yeah. or my, my colleague or whatever. Uh, Mark is like really a t- like he's got a network and, you know, I've met a lot of people. And so I'm always seeming to get jobs here and there that people will offer me. So I was getting yeah. pretty busy. So it was very fortunate to meet people and vice versa. Like if I can't do a work, I'd give it to someone else. Uh, sports was primarily it. And I, like I've got offers to do other things, but you have to develop that like with sports, I have a good sense of what I'm looking for and what it's all about. Like how to, yeah. you know, like take photographs, send it to a news agency, get it up in the, the wire and all that kind of stuff. And I'm good at that. And right now, like I would sort of, I, I enjoy other types of photography, but to get good at it, I don't know if I have the time or really yeah. the, the, I just want to concentrate on sports. Like I enjoy the sports. It's after school. I don't have to worry about a conflict with school. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm good with it. We'll see. What, like I got nine years before I retire. Maybe after that, mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll get into. It. But I I know a lot of cool young photographers that uh, like I like I like working for them. Like just to hang out and see what they do, and they do more yeah. like fashion or whatever. And I just chill and just you know help them along, like be an assistant. I'm cool yeah. with that too. I'm experiencing it through their experience, but yeah. yeah, that makes sense though because you do have a family and how do you balance that even just doing sports photography like it's so time consuming and you have a full-time job as well like how do you mm-hmm. how do you find that balance in your life where you have time for yourself you have time for your career but you have time for your kids and your family as well uh my wife man my wife's fantastic so she's yeah. really like the glue that allows me to do it if it wasn't for her and like you know her support uh all, all that kind of stuff and my kids too they're pretty cool about it yeah. Uh, they know that I like I really enjoy what I'm doing. I don't find it to be work. Like to me, like there's money. There's a money aspect to it, right? The equipment's super expensive. You gotta buy like one of my lens. Like one lens is like seventeen thousand bucks. Yeah. For, like the big, right? So it's big investments. And so, uh, they they know that I love to do it. They know that it's sort of like it's how often you get to to shoot for a major sports team, be an assistant photographer. Like you're not gonna get that opportunity very many times in life. Like there are 200 and that's, I think there's like 250 NHL hockey players. Yeah. Well, each team only has one photographer, head photographer and an assistant. So technically there's only 60 photographers. 
-hmm. So like getting that type of opportunities is really rare. Yeah. So me leaving the house at, you know, 3.30 and not getting home to midnight on yeah. game day is, is for me, it's just, I enjoy it. And the guy, like the two guys I work with are fantastic. So my, my parent, my, my parents, my family has been pretty supportive. Like they, yeah. they know that I enjoy it and they, they're really supportive. So you need good people around you to get you through life. Yeah, definitely good to have that support with your family and your kids get bragging rights. <laughs> I think no, there's no like bragging rights at all. They just like, <laughs> dude's a loser. He didn't even know who Sean Mendez was. Like, what the hell? Who's this guy? No, I don't think my son even knows. Well, my son's a big hockey fan, but they have no idea. Like, yeah. No, no bragging rights. Trust don't me. Don't worry. When they grow up, they will. They'll take it back. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully they, win a, hopefully they win a Stanley Cup and I get a ring, which I don't think I will. But if it happens, I can just like show them the ring like, what do you got what do you have <laughs> no yeah i know we'll that's see. super cool well it's been super interesting like <clears throat> actually learning about the background to your photography journey and your teaching journey like i've had you as a teacher but i didn't even know this much about your life and it's so cool oh, that yeah. i had the opportunity to find all this out so thank no, you so thank much. you very much for having me this is awesome yeah. man congratulations yeah, on this podcast and <laughs> you know all your future endeavors good luck with them i'm sure you're on the right path Thank you so much. Yeah. But I want to ask you one final question before sure. we sum up the interview. So oh, I know you kind of gave some advice in relation to photography earlier, but I want to mm -hmm. know one piece of advice that either you live by or you constantly would give other people just in general with relation to your mindset or relation to life because you've had so many experiences. Oh, man, the one piece of advice. You know, I think uh, treat people like you want to be treated, you know? Yeah. It's like that kind of mentality, like, be honest with people, treat people like you would want to be treated in any type of situation that, that arises. You know, I think it's, you know, you're going to get into a lot of situations in life where sometimes you have to say something you don't want to say, but you know, it's the right thing to do. And it's not easy, but you would want to hear it if it was, you know, I'm trying to like, so I, I sort of try to live by that as much as I possibly can. Yeah, and I'm a huge believer in karma. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Real, so yeah, good karma. I believe I you know I, I I totally believe in yeah good karma there's something about it eh there's yeah. something about like the idea that I like I've done things in the past where like in the sense that you know I could have been like I could have made more money doing something mm -hmm. and not like not to say I would screw someone over but I know that I could have made you know some extra cash and hired another photographer for way, way cheaper but yeah. I know yeah. that really like they were doing most of the work and I didn't want to like I didn't want to profiteer off their work because I because I was the one who's holding the contract, let's say. Yeah. And I know some people are really like that. Like they are like, okay, contracts are worth a thousand bucks. I'm gonna give the guy four hundred and I'll keep six hundred for just being that guy who found yeah. the job or whatever. I have no interest. You know what? I'd rather give the kid or whatever, like I always call them kids because they're usually younger photographers. I'd rather give you nine ninety percent of it, give me ten just for like the finer fee or whatever, because that's common business. People do this all the time where they yeah. And I, and like, you know, like, cause I, I, I would feel like screwed if I did all the work and I knew the other person made all the money and, and yeah. in that situation. So I do my best just to treat people like I would want to treat it, I guess. Yeah. And definitely your opportunities reflect when you give other people opportunities, you get more. Back yeah. Also. Yeah. Good karma is real, but. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, thank you once again so much for making the no, time no for the podcast today. Um, I just wanted to have you shout out your business and where everyone can find you and your work. I think Instagram is the spot. Uh, Kevin Sousa Photo. 
and that's Instagram, Twitter, same handle. I know all this, this day in business, man, it's all about uh, likes and, you know, followers. It seems to be the way things are going. Yeah, it is. Yeah, guys, mm-hmm. definitely check out Kevin Sousa photo on Instagram. Also check out Idea to Iteration on Instagram and stay tuned for future episodes. And thank you so much for listening.